Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. I'm so excited today to bring you a very special interview. This is a bonus interview. It's uh, one of our uh, off-network uh, uh, interviews that we're doing with uh, a, the director of the upcoming movie, The Other Side of Heaven 2. Uh, Mitch Davis is here, and I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be in honorary hallmarky yes this is so exciting so what we like to do with our podcasts and our interviews is to give our guests a chance introduce yourself and tell us what inspired you to become a director wow well my name is mitch davis i'm the oldest of seven kids raised in southern california i grew up wanting to be a sports writer for my local newspaper and and then had a chance to be a missionary in South America. Back in 1977, I was in Argentina, and um, I had sort of a kind of, I guess you call it a spiritual experience one day where I just felt really strongly impressed that someday I needed to make a movie about the missionary experience. Because for me, that experience was just really transformative. It, it took this kind of sheltered, selfish kid from an upper middle class lifestyle in California to places of great poverty and in some cases tragedy and, and, and difficulty. And yet I just learned to love these people so much and they in turn loved me back. And I just thought, wow, someday you got to tell that story to the planet. And uh, so now I've made w not one, but two movies about it. First of which was a Disney distributed hit film back in the year 2000 that starred none other than Anne Hathaway. So, so uh, I, 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 I love all stories, but I think I love stories of fishes out of water missionaries in a new strange land um crossing barriers and cultures and learning to love like like we can only really it's just no better way no better thing to do than to love a stranger and have that stranger become your part of your family mm -hmm. yeah i mean i can certainly relate to that i served uh, my own mission uh, in uh, Indiana mm. uh, for, for almost two years ah. ago. I, I know yeah, the feeling. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. No, yeah. it's real. It's real. Yeah. So, so, so you asked me how I became a director. The truth is I wanted to be a sports writer. All of a sudden I had this strong feeling that I was supposed to be a filmmaker. And uh, I learned a, a few things really quickly. Number one, I learned that when you're a screenwriter, you have no control over what happens to your words on the page after you give them to a director or and a producer. They can do whatever they want. And so I thought, well, that I can't have that. I, uh, you know, I I got to become a director so I can direct the words I've written in my script. And then I quickly discovered that nobody wanted to hire me. So then I thought, well, I got to become a producer. So I can hire myself to direct the words that I wrote. It all started. It all started with just wanting to write a few words that would become a movie, and and I've ended up, you know, wearing a lot of hats as a result. 
Wow. So did you grow up, you know, loving film, uh, watching movies or were you more into sports or how did that, how did that happen? I think that I, I, I don't think I was really an, an unusually uh, connected film buff. You know, I, I saw a few movies. I went to the drive-in with my folks on, you know, once a week and, and, and I mean, I saw movies, but it, I was not a pop culture maven. Um, uh, um, but, uh, that kind of changed. It really changed when I had that spiritual experience because I just suddenly realized, wow, this is, this is a megaphone. You can, you can, you can make a beautiful movie that will live, uh, a life and go all over the world and do good and lift people's spirits. How cool would that be? And, um, as opposed to you know writing writing a, an article for your local newspaper about a football game that everybody forgets the next day so yeah so i i kind of became mission driven about making movies and it kind of started you know it started i actually saw somehow i missed it my entire life i never saw the movie it's a wonderful life until my freshman year in college, I took a film appreciation class. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the period of my life. And I was just kind of trying to figure out what my life was going to be about. And I saw that movie about this man who led a small life and yet changed an entire community of people. And it really affected me. It wasn't like I'd seen a movie. It was like I'd I received a letter from God. I mean, I just, wow. I, I spent like three days walking around my college campus, picking up litter and opening doors for people because I, (laughs) I just wanted to be a better person. And, and after that experience, you know, that, that, that contributed to my, my passion. And it really is a passion now to make a few movies that matter because holy cow, you can go into a theater and, you know, uh, be assaulted by images that are vile and dark and, and repulsive and frightening. Uh-huh. Or you can go into a theater and be uplifted and o- become overjoyed and encouraged. And I, I, just, I just really want to do the latter. Yeah. So you were like Jimmy Stewart uh, for a, for a couple of days there running around Merry Christmas movie no. house. Christmas. No, no, You're I really was, no, I was, <laughs> listen, I, I'm going to make a true confession now. And, and this, this, this is going to be published to all the world now. Like after a rainstorm, you know how the, the earthworms come out and they're on the sidewalk and they're, they get stuck. Yeah. I like was walking, I was walking around, you know, helping night crawlers get back to the grass. I mean, <laughs> It was that bad. It was. That's but, hilarious. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. You should make a movie about your experience being inspired to make a movie. I think that's really yeah, cool. Yeah. So you hadn't <laughs> had any real like this. Just kind of, you know, it feels like it, this spiritual prompting kind of came out of nowhere in a way. Like you were just it, no, it really did. Your own business it and, really, <laughs> it really did. I mean, there's no, there's no question. I mean, I was thoroughly engrossed in the experience of of sharing uh, what I believed with people I had come to love. Yeah. I was thoroughly immersed in that, 
And then just really out of nowhere, this, this thing, someday you're going to make a movie about this. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, and, and, but, it, but it's changed. I mean, it's that singular experience has really directed yeah. my life ever since over, over 40 years, I've been really, really working hard to, yeah. to make good on that. That's a great story. I love that. It's like a um, a modern day uh, uh, Noah, you know, to our Nephi. I, I don't know why I'm building a boat. They told me to build a boat. I don't know why. I don't know yeah. why I'm making movies. I just that's what he said to do. So that's great. I you love know that. the really the, the the hard thing about being Noah or an independent filmmaker is that you drag your family along with you. Yeah. I mean, you, you, Noah didn't get on that boat alone, and he didn't build it alone, and 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 that has been the big part of my journey has been that I had just a dear, beautiful wife who was willing to be supportive. Yeah. And, and I've had a family. I mean, we've, yeah. heck, we've made movies in Rarotonga, in New Zealand, in Israel, in Bulgaria. Uh, we've made, and now Fiji, we've made movies a lot of places and it's, it's never been easy, uh -huh. uh, but it's, but it's been, it's been a great experience. That's great. Well, so how did you become involved in the first film originally uh, with this desire you had to make this missionary story? How did, yeah. how did you end up uh, getting involved in it? So I, um, you know, a guy who doesn't know a dang thing about making movies and is not related to Clint Eastwood or Robert Redford, I had <laughs> no way to figure, I, I, I just had no connectivity to Hollywood. So I, I figured out that film school was probably my best shot. And uh, so I, I applied to a bunch of film schools throughout the U.S. And uh, the only one I was accepted to was the number one film school in the world at the time. And I think it probably still is. Uh, it was a USC film school. And, um, you know, fresh on the heels of George Lucas and Ron Howard and just a long list of really accomplished filmmakers. I showed up and I didn't, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I, but I got in and I, and I began to compete and learned a lot of great things, met a lot of great people. And at the end of the, the semester, there was an internship uh, offered at Disney. There was a competition at the, at the school, you know, submit your application to get an internship at Disney. And so, I, I don't know, a couple hundred of us competed and five of us uh, got sent over to Disney and they interviewed two of us and they, they took me and uh, I was just so fortunate to get that gig. And, and I showed up my first day. I really had no idea what the internship was going to be. I just thought, well, I get to be on the Disney lot, and 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 that's cool. So you know, I would have I would have shined shoes uh, to be there. But I show up, and I say, hey, my name is Louis James. She said, oh yeah, you're the new intern. You should go into that room right there. There's a meeting, and you're late. And so so I walked into this room and. And there was Jeffrey Katzenberg and uh, the top 10 uh, in-house producers 
for the Disney company. And Katzenberg was like on the phone with Michael Eisner discussing whether or not we should buy a particular movie. And, and they kind of looked at me and just pointed and I sat down and, and I realized that I had become part of what's called the creative group. Um, it was a, a group of 10 in-house producers that, that decided what major motion pictures Disney was going to make at any given time. We developed them. We worked on the scripts with the writers. We took pitch meetings and, and I was, I was in, I was just in, uh, straight out of film school, which was just the most bizarre thing. Yeah. And, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I got to, I got, I got to work on, uh, well, after about a month of being an intern, they hired me, made me full time. And, and, uh, I got to work on Rocketeer and I got to work on Dead Poets Society and Pretty Woman and, oh my God. and actually, uh, Newsies. Newsies was one of my, was a movie that I, they, the writers came and pitched it to me and a guy named Donald DeLine and we made the buy recommendation and, and that, that, so I, I got to be a part of something really remarkable, really fast. And I figured, you know, it was all downhill from there. I had it, I, I had it all figured out, but it didn't turn out that way. It ended up being a longer journey, but that was a great start. Disney yeah. was a great start. That's really cool. Yeah. If you were there uh, for Newsies, you were, I mean, that was, that was a cream kind of time. I mean, I know Newsies was a big flop, but like, but that early nineties, you know, Disney Renaissance and everything, that was a great time to kind of be there. <laughs> everything kind of. No, it, yeah. it was, it was, it was very dynamic. Jeffrey Katzenberg was a, was and still is a force of nature. And, yeah, yeah. uh, and I, I learned a lot just being around him and, and observing him, but yeah, but it spawned a lot of great hit movies and a lot of great film uh, producers and filmmakers came out of that era. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Wow. I mean, I love, I love uh, a lot of those movies from that era. I mean, I love Newsies. I love Rocketeer. I, I yeah. love a lot of the live action films. Uh, and, you know, people forget that, uh, that there were quite a few films that were Disney films, but they were through Touchstone or some of the other right. uh, studios that they work with. Uh, yeah. like uh, even something like arachnophobia you would never think of that as disney <laughs> but it actually yeah is. yeah <laughs> so they were i mean the model back then they were they were doing 25 to 30 movies a year you know uh -huh. and 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 jeffrey's model was pump them out at a modest budget and we're going to spread our risk so you know if we we're going to instead of making one hundred million dollar movie we're going to make four 25 million dollar movies and then yeah. one out of those four will be a hit and, and so it was an interesting time and hollywood has certainly changed a lot since then but jeffrey katzenberg is still a major force yeah. um having a big impact you know no, went on to found found dreamworks and yeah interesting so so you're working in on the production side of things you guys yeah 
Uh, so did you just come across Elder Groberg's book or were you just presented? How did that work? The unit getting involved it's in? It's a really, yeah, it's a really long story. and I don't want to bore you with all the details, <laughs> but, but I, I went to film school to figure out how to become a filmmaker. Yeah. And then I worked at Disney and then I worked at Columbia and then I sold a script and I got to direct my first movie and and it flopped and I got stalled and I actually took five years off of the movie business because I was kind of discouraged and I had some church assignments that were very consuming and I just decided to push the pause button on movie making. And then, um, you know, I, I, I took a regular job. Life was good. We were making money and um, serving in our church. And then I, I, I was informed that I was going to be released from my assignment. It was a, like a five-year assignment. And my release was coming up. And, and all of a sudden, this little voice kind of came back in my mind. Hey, Mitch, remember that movie you were going to make about being a missionary? Remember that? Remember why you went to film school? Remember why you worked at Disney? And so I had a conversation with my wife because she knew all about it. You know, she, she knew that we'd sold our house and moved to LA to go to film school. So she knew that that was, there was a reason for all that. And I, I just said, honey, what about that thing? And, and uh, I was about, how old was I? I was about 40 at the time. And she said, honey, um, I think if you don't do it now, you never will. Mm -hmm. I think we should just go for it. Is what she said, and um, and so, uh, man, I I uh, quit my job. We put a second mortgage on the house, and I had not even discovered John Groberg's book uh, at that moment. I I just knew that I was supposed to make a movie about what it meant to be a missionary. And so I sat down and started to write one. And I wrote one about my own mission to Argentina. Um, and I thought that was going to be the one. And I showed it to some people and they were, they liked it. Okay. But they weren't, they weren't uh, jumping over the moon about it. And so I kind of scratched my head. I was like, wait a second, you quit your job. <laughs> you, you mortgaged your house to make this movie and you don't have a movie. And, a friend of mine told me that there's this book he read about a guy's mission in Tonga in the 1950s. And he said, you, you should, you should read this. And I, I'd actually heard from two others about the same book and I'd ignored them all, but he, he would not take no for an answer. He grabbed his copy off of his shelf and, and just shoved it at me and said, just shut up and read this. And, uh, so, so I, I did. And, Honestly, I was only like 10 pages into the, into the book. It's a 300 page book, but I was 10 pages into it. And I just, I just knew with every fiber of my being, this is the movie. This is it. And I, um, and so, so then I was glad I quit my job and mortgaged the house. And, and I, uh, set about acquiring the movie rights. I set about adapting the book into a script. I set about creating uh, a limited liability company and raising the equivalent of $11 million in today's dollars. And I just, I just went after it and 
I've never been, well, I have been a few other times in a few other ways, but I, but I was just so sure that the universe, God, wanted that movie done that I just, I just, I just went after it and wow. I, I would not, I would not, I just couldn't, I couldn't be stopped. And I, that sounds arrogant. But what I mean is I, I just mean that I was possessed of a kind of faith that made it impossible for me to stop. I just kind of kept going and going and going. And, and I, I had actually written the script, two drafts of the script, um, and created a company and raised a couple million bucks before I even got the movie rights from the book because it, it took like six, eight months to negotiate for the movie rights. Anyway, so yes, yeah, so that, that became the other side of heaven. That became the Disney hit with Anne Hathaway in it. And um, that became, you know, her first feature film role ever. And, and that, that movie has been, all over the world for the last 20 years, just like Jimmy Stewart in the, in, you know, in, walking the streets of his little town doing good. It's just, it's just been this good natured, uplifting, uh, friendly film that has lifted hearts and, uh, and brightened minds. And, and I'm just so excited about that and, and, and grateful for it. Um, uh, and I, and I'm so that, yeah, which is why I'm so passionate about this, this sequel Yeah, that it, I, I hope it'll be given the chance to do the same thing. Very cool. Yeah, that's great. I, I admire you just going for it. You get that inspiration. You don't, you don't doubt. I mean, I'm sure you had your moments, but still you did it. That's impressive. Oh. That's impressive. Well, you, you should admire my wife. That's who you should <laughs> admire. And, and you should, and you should feel sorry for. No, it, it was, but you know that that movie. You can still see the other side of heaven. It's on Amazon Prime, uh, and and other video on demand sites. It's it's just a, a PG rated, thoughtful, sweet film that really, really belongs on the Hallmark Channel, uh, but it's never been there. So if any executives from Hallmark are listening right now. I hope they will call me and yeah. we'll make a deal. There you go. Make that happen. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, did you, uh, I assume that you got to meet Elder Groberg uh, probably many times, but oh, yeah. early on, yeah. how involved was he or was he involved at all? Or what was that like sort of adapting his, uh, his story? Yeah. So um, when I contacted the publisher and said, Hey, I want to make a movie out of this book. First of all, they were they were stunned. Um, you know, the book was kind of a religious themed um, series of sermons uh, about Elder Groberg's missionary service in Tonga in the 1950s, and and there had never been a movie made on this general topic before ever. Um, you know, missionary movies were not the bomb, <laughs> uh, especially faith-promoting missionary movies. So once they realized I was serious, they, you know, they said, well, yeah, we do hold the movie rights and we're willing to consider selling them to you, but 
uh, Elder Groberg, who wrote this book, we, we really would like you to meet with him and have his personal approval before we proceed any further. If he doesn't feel good about this, then we won't do it. And so they arranged a meeting for me with him. And uh, I didn't know him at all. He didn't know me at all. We had no friends or family in common. I just went to his office and told him I had this vision and I felt that his book was a part of it. And, uh, and he, he, uh, was a, a initially quite cautious and reluctant. And, but then as I sort of explained my passion and what I felt was my spiritual impulsion to do this, uh, he, he got really excited. And he then said, he said, you know what? Um, I feel really good about this. So, but here comes the hard part. You, now you got to talk to my wife. <laughs> and he, he said, he said, Jean is a very private person and she, she does not like this idea at all. Um, this is our family story and our love story. And, you know, you're going to have to really, would you be willing to come to my house and meet with my wife? And so I did. I met with John and Jean, and I, I met with them a few times before they finally said yes. And then they just really trusted me. Um, it was a 300-page book that I adapted into a 100-page script. So you have to do a lot of compositing and, mm -hmm. and uh, reorganizing and shuffling. Uh, and, but they never saw the movie until its premiere, and and they never demanded to see it. They just really trusted me, and uh, and that was a that was a beautiful that was a beautiful experience. And I think that it, they were happy with the result, and and they felt that the movie did a lot of good. And so they were actually quite they were more much more anxious for the sequel to be made than I was. I I resisted making the sequel for a long time, but they, they were always, they always had, had a vision of it. Uh, very cool. Wow. That's great. Uh, so how did you end up casting Christopher as the lead in the f film? How did that kind of come about? Christopher Gorham, what a dear, good man. I tell you, um, I, we, we hired the former director of casting for Disney. Her name was Gretchen Rennell Court to cast uh, this movie. And she worked for months. I mean, she was in New York and Chicago and L.A. seeing people. And I spent weeks and weeks watching her best gets. And... Um, and she and she got so frustrated with me because I was looking for light. I was looking for somebody with a gentle spirit and light in their eyes. And she just couldn't quite figure out what I meant by that. But, you know, she brought in some great people. Uh, Paul Walker, um, oh. uh, Hayden Christensen, Shane West. Um, I mean, there, there, there are a bunch of. And and by the way, for the Anne Hathaway role, I, I auditioned. I auditioned like Amy Adams, and I auditioned a bunch of people. Yeah. And and uh, but for the Chris Gorham role, for the Elder Grover role, I just kept saying no. Uh, until Chris walked into the room, and and I just took one look at Chris, and and 
he's just a sweet, dear, good man. He is Jimmy Stewart. Um, he's a Jimmy Stewart of our day. And, and, uh, and almost really before he even auditioned or read the words, I knew he was the guy. So, and, and it turned out it, it was his first role, his first lead role in a film or a TV series. He always, always had been cast in supporting roles and he just nailed it. And, uh, we were so grateful to get him back for the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. So I've watched just about every, what would be determined as faith based films that have come out in the last two decades. And Uh I, it's a, it's a really tough genre. I think it's very difficult to, to find that line between making a ministry tool and making a movie. Right. And, uh, and you forget that I think sometimes with the best of intentions of teaching about a ministry thing that you believe in, uh, that people believe in, they, they can lose they're they're telling a story and that they are also trying to you know entertain people and and something like uh war room for instance uh was a a ministry movie not a movie Mm -hmm. and uh and Mm -hmm. uh, one thing i always admired about this one is that i feel like they did a really good job those have had a really good job of telling a story and having the faith obviously because he is a missionary and because you know that yeah. that's uh, that that is story first, ministry second. Uh, is that something that you were conscious of that you were trying to to walk that line? Boy, yeah, I sure was conscious of that and have been with the sequel. Um, and I'm glad you think we pulled it off. I mean, it's really really hard. Yeah. Um, because if you look at look at the whole faith, not just a faith film movement, but the way the world views faith right now. I mean, faith is not a popular, it's a four letter word. It's got five letters, but it's a four letter world right now in popular culture. And, and people of faith are generally depicted as narrow minded, xenophobic, you know, bigoted, unkind, ignorant people and i we're not (laughs) yeah well (laughs) the ironic thing is often i feel like it's themselves portraying themselves that way that they're the ones that are making the atheists all seem like horrible people that have no redeeming values they're the ones making that the 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 christian characters seem super judgmental and harsh and you know it's like yeah it's an odd thing like i i i can't think of the i think is miracles from heaven or something with uh, jennifer garner mm-hmm. i think that was actually a decent movie um but yeah the, the christian characters were so mean to her and yeah. like how yeah. dare you say that this is a miracle what what do you, you know and were yeah. really cruel to her and i was just kind of like what are they trying to do here? Like this here. <laughs> and uh or something like yeah. god's not dead yeah. where the where the atheist character is just the worst human being to ever exist. You know, he's just an absolutely yeah. horrible person. And I, and it just, it makes it not interesting, but I, I think uh, that uh, there are some that, uh, that manage to find that balance and, 
and I, I think it, it, it serves the ministry better when you can do that. I, I, I liked, I like other side of heaven. I like the best two years. I like, uh, the, um, uh, one called all saints, uh, from mm-hmm. a, a couple mm-hmm. of years. I thought that one was really good at just telling a story about how they're building this farm and, and it, it was, yeah. messy and it, the faith is messy and it's, it's not, I, I don't really like it when I sort of joke that it's like Jesus's magic in some of these movies. Right. Right. Uh, right. Right. I thought I can only imagine was pretty solid and pretty well done. Uh, yeah. So it, yeah, I agree. It can be done. And, and uh, so, you know, and there's lots of incredible things that happened to Elder Groberg. Uh, and, yeah. But I, I feel like it was handled very gently. And, yeah. Uh, so I well, think, I, think I, that's I, I never, I would, I want to be, I, I, I totally agree with everything you just said, but I wouldn't want any, any, uh, Christian filmmaker or faith filmmaker to feel like I'm like I'm throwing a stone at him because I know how stinking hard it is right. to get a movie made and sure. and 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 we all make our movies for different reasons and we all make mistakes when we do make them and there are always things that we're in the editing room and we think oh man I wish I'd done that differently but yeah. but That's but true. but but I I was trained up at Disney to make them make fish out of water movies uh-huh. to tell stories of put an ordinary person in an extraordinary situation and you've got a movie. That's what Katzmer used to always say. And, and, and so I agree story first because, because otherwise the problem I have with a lot of faith films is they only have the capacity to preach to the choir because they, they, they're, they're, they're so, harsh or strong or vitriolic or what dogmatic whatever that the only people who are going to watch them uh, are going to be people who already agree with them <laughs> yeah you know and i'm like no no, no let, let's 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 find common ground let's be human let's laugh together let's cry together and then let's consider some of the spiritual content woven throughout it but but if you hit people over the head with a sledgehammer and say, believe this, uh, you know, the only people who are going to do that are people who already do agree with you. And, yeah. and so I, I, I'm, I'm grateful you feel that we pulled that off. I think in this, in this second film, um, you know, we just had, we just have done two screens of it. We did a screening at the Fuller Seminary in Pasadena on Thursday of last week uh-huh. to a bunch of ministers and priests and clerics and, and the uh, head, the emeritus president of the seminary, Dr. Richard Mao moderated a Q and a afterwards. And, oh. and I loved what he said. He said, he said, this movie is a feast for the eyes and a feast for the heart. Oh. And, um, and, and I think, I think maybe one of the reasons that, that works in these other side of heaven movies also is because we go someplace else. We don't, we don't set these, these movies are not set in, you know, in Arizona in 19, in 2019, they're set in yeah. Tonga right. in the 1950s and the 1960s. And so you kind of get, you're able to, 
you're able to take a little bit of the edge off and and Tongans are spiritual people so you 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 don't and they're gentle loving un, unconditionally loving people so you kind of just get you get a little bit of south pacific breeze blowing through your yeah. your spiritual yeah. films very cool yeah so the second one is it based on elder groberg's second book or is it kind of a, an amalgamation of things no it's a, so so what happened Elder Groberg served as a young man missionary, 19 to 21, between 54 and 57. He was, you know, alone on these Tongan Islands as a young missionary. And that's when he fell in love with the Anne Hathaway character, Jean Groberg, through his letters. Through the letters. Went home and married her. So that's the end of the end of the first missions. Then what happened is he was sent back only nine years later with his now wife, Jean Groberg, and their uh, five young daughters to be the mission president over the same mission that he'd been a part of. So so as a 31-year-old man with a wife and five daughters, he goes back to Tonga to be the mission president and has a similarly harrowing and inspiring and comical set of experiences only this time his wife and daughters are in tow so it's all kind of multiplied and magnified by their by their involvement in his second mission to tonga wow so what was that like kind of going back and getting christopher back and and just having being back doing another other side of heaven movie you know it was um Number one, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and number two, I think it was the best thing I've ever done. Um, and number three, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Number four, it was the hardest. <laughs> it was so hard. This movie was hard, but it was beautiful and rich. And getting Chris back and then getting a number of the actors from the first film back to come up from New Zealand. Those those things made it a, a really beautiful experience. But but this movie um, this movie you know you have child actors, you have animal actors, you have a boat on the open ocean uh, with stunts going on, and um, it was it was a big big undertaking and. And we had adversity. We had uh, two cyclones hit our movie, um, oh and um, and 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 I. <laughs> two days before I traveled to Fiji to shoot the start shooting the film, actually three days, I had a skiing accident and I uh, blew out a shoulder. I I dislocated it, broke it, and tore the rotator cuff, and I had bone shrapnel throughout my shoulder socket and wow. they wanted to do surgery. And I said, yeah, but I've got to leave in three days. And they said, for what? And I told them and they said, well, you need to postpone. I said, I can't postpone. Um, we, I've got a you know crew and cast waiting down there. And they said, what? I said, can I do the surgery when I come back? They said, sure, but you're going to really be in a lot of pain. So, so I, I, I made the whole film, uh, with my 
right shoulder just in a lot of pain. And and so I honestly don't I don't know how hard the movie would have been without that constant uh pain, but 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 that was a part of it. I just was I was living on painkillers, living on the edge, getting hit by cyclones and making a really hard movie. Uh, but with a lot of great people, an amazing crew, an amazing cast, we 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 had a really we had a it's it's a miracle that nobody died, and it's a miracle that uh, that the movie's complete, and that when people see it in theaters, they don't know how hard it was; yeah, they just yeah. know, wow, it's that's a fun little movie. That's great. Uh, so, what do you? What's the message that you hope people will gain from watching this movie, uh, whether they're Latter Day Saints or not, or uh, maybe not even of faith? What do you think they can gain from watching the film? I think um, I really, really hope a lot of people of all faiths and of no faith will see the film. Um, it's it's not um, a Mormon movie, right. uh, for lack of a better expression. It, it's a movie about Methodists and Catholics and a few Mormons on an island uh, who learn to love and trust each other through a series of uh, heroic and miraculous circumstances they're forced to faith they're forced to face um their doubts their fears and overcome their mistrust of each other i mean you've got think, think about the movie opens actually with martin luther king's i have a dream speech Ella groberg was you know living in idaho falls the whitest town in america at the time probably <laughs> when Martin Luther King gave the I Have a Dream speech on the National Mall uh, to 200,000 civil rights activists. And and at about the same time, he received a mission call to go to a kingdom where nobody spoke English, everybody had a different skin color, and most people were not of his faith. And so so, so the, the kind of the, the theme of the movie is overcoming those barriers, racial barriers, barriers of creed and color and denomination, um, to to come to be what we really are, which is all God's children, and to love each other without boundaries, uh, without brands. Um, that's and, and if you think about it, that's what the first movie was about too. You know, Elder Groberg shows up on this island and and he doesn't belong there. He doesn't look like them. He doesn't talk like them. Um, and he learns from them and they learn to love him because of the sacrifices he makes for them. And 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 in the end, you know, the Methodist minister in the first movie gives his last bit of food to Elder Groberg to save his life yeah. after a storm de destroys their food source. Um, that, that movie, it's, it's kind of the same thing, only this time he's got a wife and five daughters along for the ride whose lives are also imperiled. And, and the entire Tongan nation 
uh, of all denominations rally around the Groberg family and and help them through difficult circumstances. And it's just really it's just a beautiful adventure and a beautiful uplifting tale. It's true. I love telling true stories. Yeah. It really happened. That's great. Well, I'm really excited to see it. I get to see it t- tomorrow and I'll have, uh, well, I'll, I'll figure out some way to do a review here in, uh, on Hallmark's podcast. I'll have lots of coverage on my other content, but, uh, but that will be a great. And I, the last question I just wanted to ask you, was it pretty intimidating casting someone to play president monson holy cow was it ever (laughs) it it was like how do you do that but this guy this guy showed up and i thought it was thomas s monson i'm like where did you come from he he is his spirit his demeanor his jovial personality and and light he just has a lot of light in him it was just the minute he walked in, it was the same thing as casting Chris Gorman. It's like, okay, cancel the rest of our interviews because this guy's, he's the guy. Yeah. Um, new. Yeah. I, and it was a lot of fun. I do want to say one, one thing. Uh, this movie's rated PG-13. I do not want any Hallmarky anywhere on the planet to be scared by that. Oh, okay, good. Uh, every time I've shown the movie, there have been three and five-year-olds in the audience, and they have been fine. There's one scene in which a guy gets beaten up uh, by his drunk uncle, and the beat-up scene is pretty intense. And so the MPAA, they called us, they said, you know, we know you want a PG rating, and we think this movie is a g to pg movie in all respects except that one scene when he hits him in the face and you know he bleeds from his mouth we just can't so so it's a it's a completely tame film um and and uh nobody should be afraid to take their kids or afraid that their spirit is going to somehow be offended It, it it it's just it's just the way the ball bounced but it's it's the same kind of movie as the first. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that's good clarification. Well, congratulations on finishing the film. And uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us. This was really fun. Rachel, you're a fun person. I cannot wait to see you at the premiere. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, well, do you have any social media that you'd like to share or for the movie? People can do. Is there any- yeah. Uh, yeah. Everywhere, that's the other thing. This movie is not just going to be in Utah and Arizona. It's going to be released nationwide this Friday, the 28th, uh, on over 200 screens. So go to our website, othersideofheavenmovie.com, forward slash tickets, or you can also just check locations near you. But we've got theaters all over. We've got theaters from Hawaii to Anchorage to Maine. And everywhere in between so we need to fill theaters up opening weekend or they're going to go away and i i hear people complain of why and i feel really bad for them they say these movies never come where we are well okay this one is yeah and it's only going to stay where you are it's only going to stay in augusta maine or in you know santa rosa california or omaha nebraska if people show up 
on opening weekend. They can't yeah. they can't say, oh, I'll see it the fact second or the third or the fourth weekend. There's not going to be a second, third, or fourth weekend unless people show up in mass Friday and Saturday. And if you're a progressive Mormon, Sunday um, <laughs> or Monday night, Monday yeah. night, Monday yeah. night. That's that's you know that we 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 got to fill the theaters or it'll just be like all the others where it shows you know opens on ten screens in Utah and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, go, no, go, go. True. Tell everyone you know. <laughs> it's true. Uh, our co host Amy lives in uh, uh, the Anaheim region. Uh, she said they had it in, a, uh, in uh, her. She looked it up, it was playing uh, near her. So yeah. it is, it's out there. Definitely check it out. And uh, yeah, that'll be great. Uh, I'll put all that information people can uh, to the website and all that other stuff in the description section. And uh, I don't know if you're, are you on Twitter or anything like that that you want to share? Yeah. Um, so other side of heaven movie.com, the website, and then uh, other side of heaven movie on Facebook and we're on Instagram on, we're on Twitter, but we're not very active on Twitter. Okay. So Good. I just say yeah, is, is Facebook, Instagram and, and, and yeah, please, please uh, sh- spread the word that we got to make this opening weekend happen. Right. Uh, and, Cause I, it's just, uh, it's, it's pretty competitive with other yeah. movies that are competing for our little screen. So yeah. it is definitely. So, all right, well, great. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, look forward to, I look forward to seeing the movie tomorrow. So thanks. All right. Much. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 This podcast was brought to you by Hallmarkies for Hallmarkies. For more information about how you can leave your mark on Hallmarkies, visit hallmarkiespodcast.com, link in the description.